You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. This podcast is sponsored by Gong. Gong empowers your entire go-to-market organization by operationalizing your most valuable asset, your customer interactions. Transform your organization into a revenue machine by unlocking reality and helping your people reach their full potential. Get started now at gong.io. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Christian Kletzel, CEO and co-founder at User Gems. How are you doing today, Christian? Hey, Ray. Uh, pretty good. Uh, I'm in San Francisco, and I think we have one of the warmest, like most pleasant days. So I think it, it's a really good day. Well, that's good too. And today we're on Labor Day. So you're living the Austrian time in, uh, in, in the US <laughs> and, and being with us today. So, so thank you so much for, for being with us on Labor Day. W- would you mind giving us a little bit of an introduction to yourself, but also the organization that you represent, User Gems? Yes, super happy. So as you mentioned already a little bit, so I'm originally from Austria, born in Salzburg, which I think at least for the American, it's the Sound of Music Association that typically comes with Salzburg. Um, worked there for Microsoft, like studied there, worked there, and then came to the US to do my MBA and, and started working here, worked at Google, and then um, about a few years ago started the company UserGems together with my identical twin brother. So it's it, especially like, September is all about conferences. And I think in conferences, it's always really dangerous. Like, have you talked to me or have you talked to my, my twin brother and co-founder? Because uh, for some people, it's really hard to differentiate. Absolutely. You are exactly identical. Uh, I think if you ask other people, I think the answer is yes. Um, I think generally, uh, I, it, I think it's hard. If you, if you just get to know us, uh, I think it's hard to differentiate. That's, that's kind of funny. I'm sure you've had lots of uh, lots of interesting, uh, confusing uh, confusing conversation with lots of people when you walk around an event and someone grab you. And was yeah, it's always like, with your brother. do I know this person? And I forgot, or do I not know this person? It's always like the very first question from myself. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. If you don't remember the name of someone and they catch you, you can just pretend that you are your brother. It's fantastic. You can get away from the situation as well. See, yes. I don't love it. So, so what is it that you guys do at User Gems? As you mentioned, chop buyer movement. So basically, we automate pipeline by turning buyer's chop movement into hopefully ARR. So um, in this, we, we focus on two components. So it's, you have this, this large list of people that, that bought your product or used your product. And we all know people are changing the job more rapidly than ever before. And so when these people move to new organizations, what the very best salespeople should be doing is actually like noticing this, tracking them down, reaching out to these people again, and, and making sure that once they settle at the new organization, hey, could there be a need for the product again? So that's really what we do is like the larger the list, the better, because about 20% of people change their job every year. So depending on the size of, a, of the organization, this can actually be really meaningful in terms of like seeing thousands or tens of thousands of past buyers and users change their job every yeah. year. See, that, that's really useful. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I wanted you to really voice that for our audience because obviously we, we're speaking together. So I know I know what your company does. But one of the reasons why we wanted to speak to you today we, is because it's such, um, and, and particularly, let me step back a little bit. We, we started... Uh, to really push what we call the customer success journey at Operatics. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we are growing, 
most of the people that were in the trenches selling or operating the business are kind of getting more and more away from the business, okay? But also because we've been at it for uh, 11 years now, pretty much, mm -hmm. we've seen a lot of clients or a lot of individual within clients organization that are either progressed internally or externally their organization. So they've got yes. a better job somewhere else. A fair few have retired as well and they go fishing now uh, <laughs> or, or some other stuff. And then there is all the new ones that are coming in, but it's our sales team closing them. It's more for maybe some of our uh, less senior uh, operation people dealing with, with their campaigns. So we, we don't see them. And I was asked to build a list of all my, uh, I'd like to call some of them close friends. So people we've mm -hmm. been doing business with, people where I know that there is a respectful you know, engagement. And I've, I've literally in 30 minutes, I was able to scribble three pages on my notebook. So it's quite a few people. And when you think about what and you go on their LinkedIn, you see all the connection you've got in common. And then it's kind of, it's kind of very granular. And sending a few emails to those people to say, hey, here is an update. This is what we're trying to do. We've not spoken for a little while. You always get something back. Is there a great conversation or an accolade for what you've done or an update on their life or news about kids being born or whatever? Mm -hmm. But you're right. You also get a lot of business. So yeah. I guess my question to you is, it's all good that I'm doing that now with mating and thinking about it, but how important is the consistency in that process? And how do you keep it consistent? Because that has been my issue. My issue is that I've got those people and I'm very opportunistic myself to reach out to them, or I think they are really opportunistic themselves. And we only reach out each other technically when we need each other. Is that, yeah. is that good enough? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, man, you, you touched on, on, on so many things that are important here. I think that the, the biggest one is actually how difficult it is to do it at scale. Like, I mean, you're talking... You're talking about the, the relationships and the people that you know, and then you go to your sales team and they have their own people that they know, but suddenly maybe a salesperson like leaves your organization and suddenly the knowledge of the salesperson and the relationships they have also leave. But I think that let's, let's actually touch on the most important thing that you said, which is like this kind of like it, a little bit being opportunistic. And I think that's what you say where it's all about creating actually a relationship. So we need to think more like, the B2B thinking always was about like, these are organizations that buy my product. But more and more, we actually should learn from B2C where it's all about actually the individuals. It's not the organization that buys the product, it's the individual that buys the product. It's the individual that uses it, it's the individual that's the champion. So if we, if we apply more B2C thinking versus B2B thinking, then this means that now I have a relationship with a ton of individual people. And in relationships, it's, it's really important that I think about how can I also provide value into this relationship. And I obviously provide value with my product, but also provide value in a situation where maybe I don't immediately directly get something out of it. Yeah. And that's why, like, how can I stay in touch with this person? And for example, like I connect with them on LinkedIn or Sometimes like, you, you, you give before you get, like if, if this person used my product and now maybe the company has some difficulties, maybe there are layoffs, then I can proactively reach out and see how I can help this person now. How can I help them with introductions? Like sometimes I can make sure that if this is, for example, a sales leader, then I can introduce them to other companies that I know that are currently looking for a sales leader. Yeah. So I think really changing this from, okay, it's a business relationship to actually it's a B2C, it's, it's, it's a real relationship between people. Yeah, I really love what you are saying about uh, providing some value 
that is not you know using my stuff straight away and and the example of uh, helping them to find a job or helping them to where the fair few people had had to lay off people in their team and did not really have a, a house for them like you know they, and they were feeling bad because they were maybe laying off people for the wrong reason and reaching out and say look we could speak to them we can try you know it's kind of cool but yeah. I was trying with my team to think about some other stuff we could do. How can we bring value without being pompous, you know, without being painful, yeah. without sending too many messages? Because I think there is a, yeah. there is a thin line. Yeah. Um, so, so, so what other type of activities have you seen being successful in that sort of, you know, bringing values, but without being too much of uh, yeah. in the face? It's always good to put yourself into their shoes. And I think like, at least for me, this doesn't come natural. So it's kind of like, um, what are they going through in the situation? This could be something. This could be something negative. They lost a job. This could be something positive if they started a new job somewhere. Um, but there's still this anxiety of like, okay, now I have all this pressure of performing at the beginning. So the, for example, what we've seen is, um, let's maybe see this person like they were my customer, my relationship here. They moved to a new organization. Um, if I know what job they are doing now is there something like some information I can provide for example if someone um, starts as a new VP of sales I, I reached out a few times to people and said hey I just saw it from the other side because we just hired a VP of sales here are the things that I think should matter like to you here are the things that, that I think matter to your boss and and just provide a little bit more information and by the way here's a blog post that's really helpful in the first 30 60 90 yeah. days that's just well. To be to be honest with you, the two things that I'm really doing myself is uh, a little bit of gossiping. You know, people want to know what other people are doing. So when you happen to know a lot of people in the same sort of space, they kind of know what the movements are and they want to speak about the industry and what's happening, what's selling, yes. what's not selling, yeah. what's going yes. on, and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's probably around, I'd say, 70, 80 percent of my conversation. And then the rest is very much the first one, which is really around the job. So I see something moving or I see them looking yeah. for something or I see them posting something on LinkedIn. And instead of responding to the thread, I'll send them a DM or I call their mobile or I send them a WhatsApp yeah. you know, and say, yeah. hey, no, we've not connected. I know someone yeah. who's done that. So it may not be a job, but it's about connecting people with each other. We were trying to think about what else can we do. And it's always quite interesting that, that sort of line of uh, bringing value without being too much in their face because you don't want to break that relationship by being too needy at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of leading me to another thing that I've seen my team doing. And again, you know, for me, Christian, I say to my sales guy, my BDRs, I've been a BDR myself. You've got to be opportunistic. If you see someone moving, this is a fantastic trigger to get in touch yeah. with them. But someone yeah. take that without a pinch of salt. They take it like li literally. And what they do yeah. is that if you see Christian moving and the day you post the job, basically that you move, they're going to try to get into your inbox. And I, I think there is a time before you do that sort of things. And, and, and there yeah. is also maybe a method. You don't want to say, oh, you move, so use my stuff in yeah. a new company. So yes, I'd like your thoughts about that, not in terms of the content and the value, because we kind of discuss that yeah. briefly, but more in terms of time frame when someone moves. Yes. I think the most important thing when you talk about value, I mean, ultimately, um, I, as the seller, BDR, I strongly believe that my product can help them. Right. I think, as you said, it's more a matter of what is the right timing for this. And, and the way we think about this is that there are three distinct phases as someone starts their new job. And I 
briefly mentioned is like 30, 60, 90 days. The way we see like a good, like a new sales leader, when they started a new organization, they're not immediately implementing new things, right? Like what they do is in the first phase, the first 30 days, they're listening. They're learning everything in the organization. In the second phase, the next 30 days, they're thinking. So what, what are the things that should be changing? What, what tools, processes, people could I be bringing in to bring this organization forward? And then in the third phase, like day 60 to 90, that's when they're implementing. And that's why what you want to do in the listening phase, you're not going in and say, hey, use my product. But rather the way we do it is if we identify that one of our champions, one of our power users changed their job, then we go in, um, send an email like, pretty quickly in the first week, but basically just thanking them for working with us, for using the product at the previous company and, and wishing them all the best in their transition. There's no asking this. We might even add a gifting step into this, like, hey, and the, to make it to make the transition easier, here's a little bit like here's a small gift and all right. And then in the range of two to three weeks later, that's when we then, hey, now that you you're settled, um, could it be interesting to explore if we can help you at your new job as well? Yeah. And then from then on, so basically we talk here obviously about a sequence. So we talk about first step within the first week, just thanking them. Two to three weeks later, that's when the real sequence starts. And that's when we have these eight, nine steps over like two, three weeks with like phone calls um, and emails and LinkedIn messages. Yeah, so not straight away on them. You mentioned something though about sending them potentially a present. That's something that I tell my team not to do. I find it to be... Okay. That's why I think, you're, and, and, and you know, that is, I'm, I'm talking about a matter of opinion here. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm, 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 it's, it's my opinion. I, I'm not saying it's the best practice. I just find it a little bit weird when someone sends me something for nothing, even if it's a, it's either something that I don't really need or don't really a $5 voucher for, for Starbucks that I can't use because I live in London and they would not take it here. So I need to get my voucher with me and remember I've got it when I'm in the US. And, and then you go to some stuff that are maybe, um, a little bit over the top, like, you know, a nice bottle of whiskey or a nice bottle of wine or a bottle of champagne and things like that. So yeah. I, I, it's just that I don't really know how to do it. And I think it's a little bit, uh, God, not, I don't want to use that word, but it doesn't sound, it's not bribery, but it's almost feel like, you know, I want to give you something. So, you know, yeah. you feel like you've got yeah. to give me something back. And when I receive yeah. stuff from people, I don't like it because what they are telling me, they say, well, I'm going to give you something, not because it's, my yeah. art is full of kindness. But I'm gonna do it because my my wallet is full of space and I would like your money in it. So <laughs> and I think it's kind of you know if you give a present to someone, it's got to be for an occasion. It's got to be for something. It should not just be like that. So you know, keep me honest. Correct me if I'm wrong. What are your thoughts on the whole gifting situation here? Yeah, um, very interesting um, because. I think in certain situations, I fully agree with you. The, the interesting thing here is we always talk about relationships, like at least here. And, and these are certainly people, these, this, is, this is a person that previously purchased the product, right? This might be the person that brought you into the previous organization. From there, it spread. And now like several departments use the product. Um, if this person leaves the organization, like, I literally want to thank them. Like, hey, thank you very much for actually working yeah. with us here, for bringing us here. I can see that like, it can be misunderstood, but especially if you already have a relationship, I don't, I don't see it as bribery. I see it as like, this is what I would be doing to a friend as well. Okay. I think it's about, um, but what you're saying is the size of the gift should be appropriate to the action that I'm doing. Right. Yeah. If this if this is a person that locked in twice into my product, I'm not sending a, a bottle of champagne. But if this is the person that brought me into a large organization and made sure that 
they are sticking around and, and staying my client, then I think a bottle of champagne is, is totally appropriate. Similarly to actually, a, a, for example, we did when we, in, in, when the companies were still in San Francisco, we visited them, we brought them a bottle of champagne for Christmas. I think it's very similar to this. Yeah. I think when you visit the clients, or if you organize an event, so I think it's nice to do, one of the things that we may want to do is to do like, a, even if people find it weird, I think we're going to get back to normal, but people still find it a little bit bizarre after COVID to go networking and get out of the, the office sometimes. But we used to do a client's Christmas party where basically we would have our clients, but also all the champions in the markets that you know speak really highly of us. And so you don't need to be a client to come. And, yeah. and it's a fantastic networking event because you meet with the, the you meet with the rest of the community. Um, so that's pending at the moment because we we have seen our clients running a fair few events and particularly when it's their own event, we we, we see attendance rate not being fantastic. So we've got that in the in the back of our head. The, mm -hmm. the other thing that we're sort of doing is something a bit more meaningful. You know, like a, not meaningful in terms of how much it costs, but meaningful in the sense of. Uh, we took the time to write a note, to write a card, a thank yeah. you card. You know, so actually taking the time to write a thank you card is not something that you can do at scale. And you know, congrats on your new job and getting all the team that was working on the project when they were in the previous company to sign and obviously put a little word. But again, there is yeah. complexity in doing that because we are not all in the same office now anymore. Now it gets harder and harder. You could yeah. just walk around with the envelope and the thing and get it done like literally in, in 30 minutes. Yeah. And then the only problem you had after that is find the address to send it. Who do you send it to? So, so do you think it's, it's purely online or do you do you also consider getting some offline touch? Do you think building a community, I guess that's where I'm going, is, is, yeah. is also a way? And then what about the meaningful, the kind of unwritten type of things, which is almost kind of maybe too close, but doesn't cost you anything, but maybe it will make people smile because we don't receive cards anymore. I actually still have a hard time in the new environment to say what uh, what this means in terms of, of events and communities that you're creating online, uh, offline. Um, I think that, uh, for example, the office visit or, or sending the cards to the home address, both of which are really hard to do in this new environment. So I actually, I actually don't have an answer to this because I think um, like I'm in San Francisco right now with actually like there are so many conferences specifically in, in San Francisco in September. So I think maybe this is actually what Chunk starts, hopefully the in-person events again. Yeah. But considering how much people moved outside the city, even in San Francisco, I think it gets harder and harder. Like if I were to think about visiting an, a, like a really large customer in person, like Let's say they haven't moved it in person. It's probably really hard to actually find a day where like the three people that I'm in touch with are all in the office. Yeah, it was difficult before. You know, I remember before COVID, San Francisco, the Bay Area being one of the area where you call clients and say I'm coming, and they're like, yeah, but let's do a call anyway. Oh, you don't need to come <laughs> to the office. You're like, no, but I'm coming. I'm I'm gonna be literally on the road. I'm in, I'm in San yeah. Mateo. Like I know exactly where you are. I'm gonna be sort sort on uh, mm -hmm. hundred meters away from your office. Let me walk by, and yeah, yeah. you know, even before I think there's been that sort of um, that sort of thing that it's okay to be online. You know, another format that I would think of is potentially doing videos. But again, you need to have the team together to be able to do a video, or you have to record it on your phone and then do a little bit of a montage and send it to say thank you. Yeah. 
it's, it's that's that's our issue at the moment. You know, I think getting the trigger is one thing, and that's super yeah. important. Then is how do we pace it so we don't jump yeah. on them? So we feel yeah. like, oh my god, you know, it's a bit too much. But also, how do we make sure that we're not pompous in the in, in yeah. what we are doing with the interaction after? And I think, um, and th this is I think the, the really interesting thing. For example, like when we talk about the chop change trigger. Because like obviously we talk about the champions here. We talk about probably like senior people in the role, like the decision makers. And that's where the thought process, what if this is manual work versus what, what is automation comes in? Where do like what in a sense, if I add a gifting step, what's the size of the gifting step? But what's actually really interesting is if you can broaden this. So when we talk about the champions, and like the easier way to talk about this is like closed one opportunity contacts. If we talk about in a Salesforce matter here, but um, where actually the the real large value comes out of this is when I broaden it and when I say how many people actually used my product. So these are the people where I might not even have a relationship. They weren't included in the buying process. Maybe my CSM knows about them. Maybe not. But even if the CSM knows, they're. Passing this information on to the salesperson basically never happens. But this is oftentimes like if you if you have a SaaS product, that's the difference between let's say four people being involved in the purchasing process, but 200 people using my product. And if I track these 200 people, they might not be a decision maker here, but they can be the decision maker at the next yeah. organization, or they they report to the decision maker, and now they're kind of like my my internal even spy that can help me um, work the organization. And so in this case, then it's actually less about, like, let's say, adding a gifting step or not, because like maybe there was no relationship, but it certainly, it actually changes the game of prospecting, where instead of the code outreach to the decision maker, I can do that as well, but I can also go to the people that use the product and kind of like do with a PLG motion through the organization. Yeah, I think this is this is this is spot on Christian. Um, and I actually didn't look at it that way, so it's it's, it's a very spot on comment. Um, based on that, I've, I've got a question that I've got to ask you. Is, do you have any stats? Do you have any like hard numbers that um, you could share with our audience about how much existing relationship nicely leveraged after a job move can actually help you to impact the top line? Yes. Um, so I think the, the biggest one we, we always started with is just looking at the outreach rate. Um, so that's the first one. We just see... A, we're doing this play internally at user terms. I think we published the, the statistics on our website, but I think it's something in the range of 80 to 90% open rate, uh, five to six X the response rate. So we're looking at like 30% response rate on these emails. Obviously they have their relationship, but ultimately there's also this conversion rate to opportunities, which is about three X to any other outreach that you can, can be doing. But I think the, the biggest number that we see consistently is that, um, tracking your champions, your power users, ultimately result in 10 to 15% of your whole pipeline. Which means that if you're not doing display, you're in a sense losing out on 10 to 15% of the pipeline. And what's really interesting here is that this, it, it's probably the only marketing activity that actually scales with the business. Like it's really hard if your LinkedIn advertising works to actually say, okay, now I like the organization is growing, I need to have 2x my LinkedIn advertising because suddenly yeah. I'm spending way, way more. But as my organization grows, as I have more users, more champions, it also means I can track more people. It also means that now I'm generating more business from them. So ultimately it's 10 to 15%. And that's actually fully on autopilot. Wow. When, once you set this up, 
once you have, like, you track all your users. Um, like in our case, like what UserChimps does is literally feed these new leads into your Salesforce, preferably feed them directly into an wow. outage sequence. Um, like in our case, um, it literally, our AEs and SDRs realize about this when a new meeting shows up in their calendar. No, no, I agree. I think the, the one stat that I'm not sure I caught is the two to three X opportunity. So are you saying that you create two to three X more opportunity from initial conversation? Is that what you were saying? Uh, no, like um, if basically if your team, let's say I have a hundred target, um, yeah. um, uh, let's say VPs of sales and marketing that I'm targeting versus a hundred yeah. people that have used my product before, then yeah. Basically, like doing the same effort, like reaching out, putting them all in a sequence, taking care of my actions, results in in about three times the opportunities than your target than your regular target list does. It's three times more productive technically than uh, picking up the yes. phone and trying to it. Uh, yeah, some 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 people that you've never had a relationship with. That's that's useful. The 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 last thing really you mentioned, you know, passing on to the sales team. So again, I've, I've, from my own experience, I've had people who probably would appreciate to have the interaction with me. And that's that's one of the things where I've kind of stopped to do it a little bit because I can't be sending proposal as much as I used to at the beginning. I need to kind of focus on some other stuff now. So I'm trying to involve the sales team, but they still ring me if they want something, if they want to progress. You know, my team removed me from the email, they had me back. So yeah, yeah. Is there a balance around that? Do you have rules around that from your clients? Or it's just like, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter for me to get involved. I just can't be doing the day-to-day full sell cycle anymore, unfortunately. I love it, and I'm trying not to do it uh, because I really like it. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, I need to focus on some other stuff. So, no, strict. Like I, I totally hear what you're saying. Like it's very similar. To, in a sense, like, I think both you and I. I was the first salesperson of the organization. I was the first customer success person of the organization. So I have all these relationships with the very early people. I think um, typically. I try to treat them kind of like relationships, which means that I um, I want to make sure that at some point I'm part of the touch. And so this means there's actually an outreach step that involves me with okay. these people. So there's there's a step where I reach out um, and, and this could be the first one or this could be the third or the fourth one. And then ultimately I'm trying to be like, the further down it goes to, to the funnel, um, the more I want to be involved. So at least yeah. like in, in one of the final conversations, I want, if, if this is a person that I previously worked with, then I try to make sure that I'm still involved. And I think it all comes like, yes, uh, like, like a million things that, that, that we all can be doing, but I think it all comes down to actually focusing on creating the relationship. And I think that's part of it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Christian. Um, lots of great insights here. If anyone wants to pursue the conversation with you, or engage with user gems and, and, and understand how you guys can help them because I think one of the topics that we've not even touched is what do you do with sales and salespeople coming and leaving your own organization and retaining that information yes. to make sure you don't go, yes. which is, is a big part of user gems. But if anyone of uh, of our audience wants to wants to pursue the conversation with you, what's the best way to get hold of your question? No, I think that that's a great point. Like ultimately, what what we do here is pretty much what we talked about here, right? So. Um, we we take your input, which is like all the people that purchase the product, all the people that use the product, regardless of who they work with, as you say, like the salesperson that leaves, et cetera, and then push it directly into your Salesforce. So if, if you're interested in learning more about this, then please reach out to me. Um, email address is christian uh, at usergems.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time, Christian, today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show.
Awesome. It was great chatting. Thank you so much for having me here. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. This podcast is sponsored by Gong. Gong empowers your entire go-to-market organization by operationalizing your most valuable asset, your customer interactions. Transform your organization into a revenue machine by unlocking reality and helping your people reach their full potential. Get started now at gong.io.